Good morning. Preaching Jesus' name this morning. I'm still human. I thought maybe with not as many people here this morning, I wouldn't be as nervous, but I'm still just as nervous. Well, I'm glad for each one of you here this morning, and and uh, greet you in Jesus' name. Maybe it's the subject that I have at hand that's making me nervous. I don't know. But I guess for my message or meditation here this morning, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 4. And it's the second beatitude. We looked at the first one some time back, and that was those that are poor in spirit, and they have the promise of the kingdom of God. Today we're going to look at, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Maybe just a little refresher on the first one. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you're going to have to be poor. And that goes against human nature, that goes against my nature, that goes against your nature. But it's God's nature. These beatitudes are packed with a lot of meaning. And it has also been said that these beatitudes could be keys to happiness. So if you want happiness, if you want true happiness, live these beatitudes. So, looking at verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. Why do we mourn? These are just some questions I ask myself. Did you ever think, wonder, if we did not have the capacity to mourn, what life would be like? We have an element of, of God's image in us. And I think that it can be expressed in our emotions. And mourning is one of those emotions. Granted, the fall of man at the garden tainted those emotions. Another question asked, will there be crying in heaven? You know, we associate crying with sadness, sorrow, bitterness, pain, suffering, oppression. But did you ever think that, you know, and and we have the promise that God will wipe away those tears. But did you ever think that maybe there could be the possibility of tears of joy? As we look on Jesus and see him and we're united with him? I don't know. It's just a question I ask. Mourning is a physical emotion that will affect you short-term or long-term. And it may depend on the severity of it. Another thing in mourning is cross-cultural and has varied levels of it. You look at other cultures, mourning is there and is done differently. I'm not very familiar with other cultures as far as what they mourn, but 
or how they mourn, but some go to great lengths of mourning. And I, I usually think of mourning as something that maybe happens for maybe at best a week to a month is my frame of reference. And uh, we have examples in the Bible of mourning. I think Abraham mourned, was it 30 days for Sarah when she passed? Why then is this, as I'm looking at this and, and as Jesus is giving this message on the Sermon on the Mount, is there any significance to the placing of this beatitude as being the second one? Very important thing. Maybe we should define mourning. Definition it's an expression of deep sorrow for someone who has died typically involved typically involves the wearing of black clothing. That was a definition of mourning. So, thinking of its placement here, death is sure, and there is certainly a place for mourning. We have no control when we're going to die. When God says your time is up, your time is up. To ignore it, to ignore mourning, I think would be wrong. But here in this beatitude, we have a condition, and then we have a promise. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Good. Uh, so we're we're thinking of it in a physical sense here, but let's carry it another step. Um, what about sin? Should we mourn for our sin? Does that make us sad? Does that make us sorrowful? How sad are you about your sin? And then the question I ask is, do we want comfort? And I think we'd all answer, yes, we do want comfort. It's often mentioned at funerals, and I pondered this for some time, that it talks of, there in Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4, it talks about uh, it is better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of feast. And I often wondered why. Why would it be better to be in a house of mourning than in a house of feast? Um, I mean, I don't find myself always trying to be mournful. I like to be happy. And I like when other people are happy. But could it be that death in the fact that there's no getting around it, it brings life into check. And maybe our values and the things that we value become great or lesser depending on that. If you were given the opportunity this morning, you went to the doctor and the doctor told you you only had two more weeks to live, what would you do? 
I often contemplated that. What would you do if you had two weeks to live? Would what you were planning to do tomorrow before you went to that doctor, would that change? Would the values that you had, little routines, whatever, your values would change. We had some good friends in Ohio. He was, they were about our age. And uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I think at the time it was fairly advanced and they tried multiple treatments and stuff. They didn't give him a very good prognosis. And it was a matter of six, eight months, very short, that he actually lived. But, and they, they told him that. And uh, he did do things that I thought were commendable. Took the family down to the golf, spent, I don't know, two weeks down there with them. Um, you know, his family, that was important to him, his children. So death kind of brings things in the check. Thinking of Ecclesiastes 7.1-4 there in, in light of being in the house of mourning, let's understand it a little bit too. That was Solomon. Well, he's known as the wisest man, probably the richest man. Um, I thought it was interesting. I'm going through the Bible in one year and in my devotions this week I read from Ecclesiastes and there was a comment given there and this this comment is was by Joyce Myers and it writes this Solomon was a busy man he tried everything that could be tried did everything there was to do but at the end of his experience he was unfulfilled and bitter exhausted disappointed and frustrated with life nothing that he could do brought him happiness he was wise and he tried his wisdom there was things that he bought, and you can read that account, and it did not bring him happiness. I hope that sheds a little light on this. So life is short and fragile. Death helps us keep it check in reality. There's some right ways to mourn, and there's some wrong ways to mourn. You can look at the Bible in Genesis. You can find lots of mourning. And is it any surprise? What happened at the garden? What was the outcome of Adam and Eve's sin? Had God not told them if they would eat of the fruit of the tree that they would die? Absolutely. And they did. I mentioned Abraham and Sarah. And that's found in Genesis 23. Abraham weeping for Sarah. I'm just going to read verses 1 through maybe 12. 
And Sarah was 107 and 12, 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerjarba, and the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heath answered Abraham and said unto him, Hear me, hear us, my lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choices of our sepulchre bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee thy sepulchre, but thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heath. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me to Ephraim, the son of Zorah, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which hath been, which he hath, which is in the end of the field. For as much money as it was worth, he shall give it me for possession of a burying place among you. And Ephraim dwelt among the children of Heath. And Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heath, even of all that went to the gate of, of his sitting of his city dying nay my lord hear me the field giveth I thee and the cave that is therein I give it thee in the presence of the son of thy people give thee I thee bury thy dead and Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land there's an example of Abraham mourning for Sarah 2 Samuel 1 we find David mourning for the death of Saul and his friend Jonathan And we could look at more examples of that. But there's also examples in the Bible of mourning that wasn't related to death as well. Remember the account of Absalom where he was responsible for the murder and he fled? And David mourned because of his absence. He was missing him. Uh, in Numbers 14.39. I'm just going to turn there. And Moses told these things unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. That account there is where the children of Israel had come to Kodesh Barnina and did not go into the promised land. They did not take it, and they didn't take the promise that God had given them. And God, when he came back and said that your generation is going to die, you no longer will, will be able to enter in, they mourned. What happened? They tried it anyway. They tried to go in on their own, and they were defeated. God was not with them. Psalms 119, 136, we have an example. I'm just going to turn to that one too. Rivers of water, rivers of water, run down mine eye because they keep not thy law. Here's an example of David crying over the sins of God's people. Hosea 4:3 talks about the land mourning because of Israel's sin. 
want to look at some examples of wrong ways to mourn. 2 Samuel 18.33 we find David mourning for Absalom. When Absalom tried to take over the kingdom David Absalom was killed and David mourned and Joab had to come I don't know if I should use the word slap him on the head but had to pretty much straighten him and say hey is this that bad Prior, get your priorities right the kingdom is not lost but it was to the saving of the kingdom that Absalom was killed but yet David still mourned and maybe rightly so it was still his son but it seems that the prophet still had to, to tell David that that was not right another one I thought of is in 1 Kings 21.4 there the account is where Ahab lusted after Naboth's vineyard he went to his bed very sorrowful turned, his, turned himself over and that was wrong morning so now let's look at the second half the comfort Will everyone find comfort that mourns? In the event of a funeral, there may be unbelievers present. They will mourn, but will they find comfort? I want to build a framework here. I believe comfort is going to be for those who are poor in spirit and are living in a God-fearing life those are going to be the ones that find comfort another way I could say it is all those all mourners who are poor in spirit and hungry and thirst for righteousness will find comfort there is comfort for those who believe There's an example, a very familiar one in John 11. Verses 1 through 45. And I think I'll take the time to read it. It's a lot of verses, but if you want to turn there, I'm going to read fast. You can follow along. If you want to sit back and listen, that's fine. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with, anoint, with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that he was, that he said, This sickness is not, not unto death, but for the glory of God, and the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loveth Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. When he had heard it, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days, still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou hither again? Jesus answered, Art there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, 
that I may awake him out of a sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. How be Jesus spake of his death? But they, spot, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I may not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was come, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. And I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into this world. And when she had said so, had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come and called for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up and hastily went out following her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come, where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They have said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused not that even this man should not have died. Jesus therefore again groaned in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead for four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the, the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou art sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto him, Loose him, and let him go. And many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen this, this thing which Jesus did believed on him. Here we have an account of the raising of Lazarus. It seemed like there was multiple people here that Jesus was trying to teach a lesson to. 
And, uh, for example, the disciples. You know, they, didn't, they weren't catching it. They didn't catch it. You know, he said, let's go to Judea. They, they got word that Lazarus was sick. And then they waited two days. And then he said, let's go to Judea. And the disciples there in verse 8 said, whoa, you know, we're going to get stoned. They were worried about their lives. They didn't understand. Another, another area the disciples didn't catch was verse 11. Um, Jesus was talking about Lazarus sleeping. They didn't catch that. Jesus had to be more plain. Lazarus is dead. Verse 15. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So the reason for that was so that they would believe. They had to see it. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that with him there is hope, comfort for his children. Look at look at uh, Mary and Martha. There was mourners, comforters, ones that were weeping around them, and they were also. Um, Jesus loved them. They're. Uh, get ahead of myself here there in verse uh, my eyes on it where he was uh, risen from the dead they, they mentioned the Jews were observing and they said see how he must have loved him um, do you think that was the case yeah Jesus loved him but I think it was more that Jesus loved Mary and Martha um, the weight of what he was probably looking ahead to dying on the cross dying for the sin of mankind that weight was probably it mentions about it, it groaning on him and I think it was a love that he had for you and me also seemed like Mary had, or Martha had a good understanding of life after death her response to Jesus said yeah I understand he will be raised in the last day after the last resurrection how does that say? The last Martha said unto him, I know that you shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So she seemed to have a good handle on on that. Why did Jesus weep? There in verse thirty five. Jesus wept. Certainly we can say that Jesus identified himself with those that around him. Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Was Jesus weeping because of the sorrow? Maybe he was weeping because of the sorrow of the sin, unbelief. Maybe he was weeping for the disciples because they were so slow to catch on. There's an element of sin and its consequences that when death takes place, it all points to what happened at the Garden of Eden. Where that pure relationship that God had created with man and himself 
was severed. And I think there's some importance to teaching that in, for example, when we do a viewing and we have the casket and the body and we walk by, we see the body. It's laying there, but no longer is the spirit there. Um, our, our, our mortal temple is there, but our spirit has gone on to be in eternity. And so therefore, it, there's no getting around it and makes for excellent teaching opportunities for children. Um, I'm told that, Christy told me that when they were little, that their dad, when they would go through a viewing, would always encourage them to touch the body. Touch it. Um, I never really wanted to do that, but it's just, it's a body. Our spirit goes on. It's hard to look at or not think about or remember. Um, looking at Matthew 5, verse 4 again. Blessed are they mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's hard not to think about back in Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm going to read it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open up the prisons to them that are brown, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of the joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall build the old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the wasted city, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. For your shame ye shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering, and I will direct their work in truth and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All they that see thee, them shall acknowledge them, that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. And I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul, shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me in the robe of righteousness. And as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth himself with her jewels, for as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causes the thing that are sown in to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause the righteous and the praise to spring forth before all nations.
Here we have Isaiah prophesying of the good news of salvation. We're told about the judgment that is going to come on the nation. And now we are told about the deliverance that will come. So, the comfort we find is comfort that comes from those who acknowledge their sin, who acknowledge that God's judgment, God's judgment has been exercised. Can we conclude that as Israel or as Isaiah was looking at Israel's sin and their captivity and their restoration, so Jesus was looking at man's sin and the punishment that he was going to have to bear on the cross and then the redemption that we would have if we believe on him. Is that a comparison? I think it is. As I was thinking on mourning, what is the opposite of mourning? And that is rejoicing. Is it not? Um, But we don't have that here. We don't have here that Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall rejoice. So would it be safe to say that the word comfort, meaning that not all the pain will be taken away, not all the consequence of our sin will be erased, I think Jesus is saying that whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you will find comfort, and you will have you will find God's comfort, and you will be able to bear it, but you will not be able to avoid it. Um, and. Uh, Parallel scripture in Luke 26:21. You may have thought of this one already, and I wasn't quite sure what to to make of it. Luke 6:21 says, uh, "I'll help to get out of chapter 21." Luke 6:21. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. I think uh, we don't have to go very far. Go down to verse 25. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. I'm not suggesting that we walk around with long faces and sober and life is a bear to bear. Um, I think there is a place of taking life seriously and keeping things in check, but we can be happy about it. But maybe a comparison we could take from this is, do we laugh at sin? When sin is done, do we laugh at it? Satan would love to have us laugh at sin. 
I've noticed at funerals, it seems that if you don't want to mourn, laughter is a way to cover it up. And uh, we were just at one here, Christie's grandpa, and I was observing this, and it was interesting to watch how people, how it affected people. And uh, one individual, it seemed like this is, I mean, we don't have to. We don't have. To, let's. We don't have to do everything. Let's. Let's stay over here. Let's stay in the corner. Um, it's all a big party. Um, that I, those phrases I heard. Um, Dad's up in heaven having fun. It seemed like he was not accepting the real fact. Satan would like to have us. Turn things inside out, twist things around, laugh at them. Is that what Jesus did? So again, coming back to Matthew 5, here's a beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it goes against our human way of doing it. I'm going to leave you with a nugget in closing. Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So there is hope for the Christians. There is comfort. Let's keep our life in check. As we look into the future, we have a promise of eternity with Christ. Things that happen in this life become pale may not matter what happens to me but what happens in eternity is what's going to matter